Inconceivable. 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 Hello, and welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> you can hear which one of us is more enthusiastic because it was um, my idea, but um, it should be interesting. I think I think it'll be more interesting for you than you think it might be. All right. But um, we've always kind of noticed that there's our cat who's already distraught that we're not giving him our full attention currently. Um, I've always been really fascinated with stories that seem crazy or mysterious or even things that are kind of still left unexplained. Um, yeah, and I tend to be, let's say, open-minded about the, the possible things that might have happened. And this guy over here is gonna. I'm a I skeptic guess, all the way. He's gonna be the voice of reason, I suppose. I, I, she believes in more, shall we say, supernatural type things and events, as as being more plausible. And I'm more of the simplest explanation mindset. Sure, let's go with that. Kind of go good. with that. So she's gonna, yeah, tell the stories and uh, we'll uh, see yeah. if I believe them or can yeah. pick up them apart. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it to be my goal to basically see if I can convince you of these crazy stories by the end. Good luck. All right. First episode. Here we go. Have you heard the name (sighs) Marina Chapman before? No. I know know a Chapman, but I don't know that one. Okay. This is good. Good start. So rather than just kind of give away the theme that we're talking about, I'm just going to start the story off and we'll see how we do. So she's five years old. She's playing close to her house in Columbia, and then she suddenly is aware of two adults creeping up behind her. And, I mean, before I get too far into the story, I guess I should say that even though this is a very, very well-documented case that's considered to be pretty valid, all of this is based on her own account of things. She's five. At this point. And what year is this? I know I wrote it in here somewhere. I can't remember now. Maybe it's somewhere else in these notes here. Okay. I'll try and figure it out. So a five-year-old five is being trusted to tell a story. No, just, can you wait? I'm waiting. Okay, go. When it starts, when the story starts, she's okay. five. Okay. Moving on. Two adults are creeping up behind her. She says, I just saw a hand cover my mouth. And, like, the, it was a black hand and, like, a white hanky. And then they were taking her away. And she says she hears children in the background and they're crying. Okay. So she thinks that the hanky must have been soaked in chloroform, and she says that the last thing she knew she was being driven in the rainforest, the Colombian rainforest. And for whatever reason, if she's maybe like the wrong age for whatever these people have in mind, or she's causing too much trouble, she just gets dumped in the forest. Okay. So she talks about how she thinks that she thought the kidnaps were just going to come back for her, and they never did. So now she's just. A child in the middle of the Colombian rainforest. That would be, I wouldn't want to be an adult in the middle of the no. Colombian rainforest. So that's um. So that's quite something. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Uh, so and then she also thought she would be rescued by passerbys. Passersby, but obviously no one's coming. She's in the middle of a rainforest, and she's a child. So she just kind of like cries and screams and walks around, 
and is trying to find some kind of human life. Again, same thing I would do. Yeah, we're good. Pretty much, right? And then, you know, there's just nothing. Like, there's no hope at this point. Yeah. So, eventually she comes across this family of monkeys. Okay. You can kind of start to see where this is going a little bit. So, she says that in her small child mind, she was like, they're not human, but they look humanish. <laughs> and then she starts to just kind of, like, she doesn't join this family, but she settles in that part of the jungle because there's some other form of life that's nearby. Yeah. You know? Um, so she just kind of, at this point, is just a child trying to survive. And she's going about her business and she's scavenging for food. And she kind of just watches the monkeys kind of doing the same thing. Like, they scavenge, they groom each other, they play, and they pretty much just ignore her. Yeah. Right? So Marina's just there, and they just ignore her, but she's just kind of watches. Okay. All right, so one of the memories that she remembers kind of triggering her experiences is that she gets horrible food poisoning from a tamarind, which is, I guess, like it's, it's a type of tree that grows fruit, as far as I understand. Okay, and fruit is... Haha. <laughs> I don't know if you heard of what a tamarind is. I haven't, is. no. So I thought I'd explain just in case. And maybe some of the viewers, listeners, have not heard of a tamarind, so I'm just covering all my bases, okay? Good. Your bases are covered. They're buried. Thank you. Yeah. So basically, yeah, she gets horrible food poisoning. She thinks she's going to die. She's a child. She doesn't know what to do. And she's basically on the, f- the forest floor writhing in agony because she's in so much pain. And she's, she describes an elderly monkey, which I don't know how she can tell if it's elderly or not. Probably had a cane. Ha ha. So she says the monkey comes, kind of leads her over to the, the muddy water, and encourages her to drink the muddy water. Okay. And the muddy water makes her sick, and she vomits up. Yeah. And then she's recovering from the food poisoning. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. I, I think the monkey was just like, water good, you drink. Like, no, not, not it's going to make it throw up. It's like, hey, I drink water. <clears throat> yeah, in any case, I just find it interesting that this monkey is part of a family that's been ignoring her for all this time, and all of a sudden it just decides to intervene when it realizes that she's in some real distress. Yeah. No, so that neat. kind of gives off this vibe of somewhat humanness. Yeah. You know? Anyway, so she drinks the water, vomits, and recovers, and after that she, the, the younger monkeys start to kind of befriend her. And she's watching them closely, and she's learning how to climb trees, what things are safe to eat, how she should clean herself, and all this stuff. Um, and she she's growing up the whole time that she's living in this forest, right? She's aging, and she's getting more mature. Yeah. She starts to get smart enough to realize that the monkeys that are climbing overhead and the trees carrying these armfuls of bananas, and when they're trying to juggle all these bananas, they drop some of them. So she would just watch them in the trees when they're carrying stuff, and she would walk underneath them so that whatever they drop, she can just take. (laughs) Smart kid, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, And then over time, she says the monkeys started to let her sit in the trees with them. And they would just kind of go off and look for food and leave her by herself, and she would get lonely again. But eventually, they kind of developed this somewhat kinship. Yeah, makes sense. Other animals have been known to kind of do the same thing. Yeah. You know, even, like, humans, granted, we use them as pets, but, like, you see, like, a a dog or something that's hurt on the road, it's not uncommon for someone to, like, adopt that dog right then and there into the family. 
100%. So I think, I mean, a lot of people are like, they're monkeys, they can't, like, feel empathy. Well, love I mean... Love is love. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, so I just, I find it intriguing. And then she, like, later on, she's telling this account as an adult, right, looking back on her experiences. And she was so young that when people ask her if she thought about her family anytime, she's like, I was too young to really know or remember my human family, you know? Yeah. And she says that, yeah, she just, she tries to imagine or to work back to those memories, but she just can't get there. Anyways, that's interesting. She readily admits that she wouldn't have survived in the forest without the monkeys, and she thinks they were capuchins. Okay. Um, which apparently are well known to be, they're like known to be well disposed towards humans, which I didn't know. I thought they were more like pranksters and tricksters than like friendly nice to human types but they from her earliest memories they just weren't interested in her and they didn't aggressively attack her or anything but she she just was like whatever yeah just let bygones be bygones yeah Yeah, fair enough so she kind of grows up in this monkey family they start to accept her and like play pranks on her like she told stories of younger monkeys coming up and just peeing on her leg while she's (laughs) like (laughs) so that's kind of funny like hey how you doing (laughs) Um, and then she says, this is really cool. She says she starts to understand the noises that they made. So there was a specific whistle that had to do with food. Yeah. And that there's food nearby and they should get ready to follow the monkey who sees the food. Yeah. And then I'm trying to read this from like a written, like translate this from an... Was it was it more of like a... Or a... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's a... There's a when they're grooming each other. Okay. Um, and then a, a warning when they feel in danger. So, like, some kind of warning call. Okay. So, mm. that's kind of interesting. And that also, to me, like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, we yeah. have two little turds that we call cats. And we've had them for, what, a year and a half now? Yeah. We can understand the noises they make, as well as uh-huh. their body language, pretty well. Like, when one of them wants attention... Like Mila right now. Like Mila, who's currently yeah, sniffing the microphone. They have a very certain kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Like they have a certain meow, or when they've got something in their mouth and they're trying to show us, it sounds differently. Or when they're playing with each other and one of them's like, stop. Yeah. They'll even let out a slightly different sound. When they're hungry, they... like You, you kind of learn to tell, but it's still impressive for a kid. It's, it's impressive for a kid living in the jungle who was probably just... Starting to speak fluently, you know, in terms of human language. Yeah. And is now, all of a sudden, understanding what these monkeys are saying, you know. It's kind of cool. Um, so anyways, when people ask her about how, what she did, like, to pass the time in the jungle, she says that everything with the monkeys was about food. Yes. You get up in the morning and you think, what will you find to eat? Yes. And then you go to sleep and think, what can you eat tomorrow? <laughs> And then she said maybe she would amuse herself paying, playing with, like, birds and lizards and, like, bugs. So, see, they're not that different from humans after all. That's, <laughs> that's how I spend most of my days. Like, huh, that was, that was really good. I wonder what I get to eat tomorrow when I go to bed. <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, not, not too much of a stretch. Um, so she's, she estimates for around five years. She okay. has no way of measuring. But she says for an estimated five years, she lived in the jungle with no human company whatsoever. Okay. Just the monkeys. Yeah. So... Hence the title of this episode, which is going to be The Real Life Jungle Book. 
She remembers learning to fend for herself and eating berries and roots and grabbing the bananas that the monkeys dropped and sleeping in holes and trees and walking in all fours and basically all of that stuff you would expect okay. from living in the jungle. And she liked living with the monkeys, but she still craved human contact. Yeah. So that's something that was interesting. She didn't notice it go away, even though she was now part of the jungle as much as these monkeys were, right? Yeah. She's like, you can't really <clears throat> talk to the monkeys in the same way you can expect. Yeah. Another, even at like five years old, like we both worked with kids and like at that age, they, they have their own conversations that have nothing to do with anything whatsoever, yeah. but it's the fact that they're talking, they're communicating. Yeah, they're talking you know? to someone. When you look at the monkey, it's it's not like her, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter, you know, what race, what age, whatever. You can look at another human and say, yes, this person is like me, mm-hmm. right? And there's a kind of kinship in that. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, this is where it starts to get even more crazy than just... It already has been, with a child living in the jungle for five years. Hit me. So she's craving human contact, and she sees hunters come into the jungle occasionally. And they were, were terrifying to her, because she's this child, and they have guns and machetes. And, you know, but she recognizes that they're human, like yeah. she is. So she tries to make contact with them, and she says by the time this happened, she had lost her language. Yeah, so makes sense. she can't, like, communicate with them. Anyways, one day she says they... She approached the hunters, and she's, you know, naked on all fours, and she's basically just speaking with grunts, trying to get them to understand that she wants them to rescue her. Yeah. They did, but this is where it gets even more crazy. They sold her into a brothel, and she was renamed Gloria, and basically forced to clean herself, and regularly beaten, and basically tried to get, like, re... I don't know, rehumanized? Is that the right word? You can't see it, but the face is just a brothel? Yeah. Oh. Um, she's like 10 at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. So, I told you it's getting even more crazy than just yeah. a child getting raised in the jungle. Yeah. So, um before she, right before she's about to be given to her first man, okay. She escapes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't like where this story is going. Can we pick a new one, please? Um, and people, when she tells her story, they wonder if she kind of sanitized the story or like changed the story to benefit her family. Because she has a new family now that she's yeah. living. Like, in the, This is, you know, when she's all grown up and she's retelling yeah. her story. Um, and, you know, people are like, okay, this is where the story gets less believable than it already is. Like, what are the chances that you managed to free just before you're forced to do that? And apparently her response is always, no, I was just lucky. No, and see, depending on when she escaped, like, you're you're 10 years old. You've lived your entire life climbing trees and stuff. So I don't care if this is, like, a second floor. You can get down, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, the man is up. Like, coming up to you, whatever. He, he's naked or he's getting naked. You're 10. You're freaking the heck out, right? Yeah. I, I could totally see it if that was the case. Like, she... The... And as weird as it's going to sound, if you lived with the monkey, she probably knew kind of what sex was. Yeah, like, that's fair. Like, in terms of, like, oh, a new baby monkey's arrived, mm-hmm. or I'm sure she's just seen monkeys, you know, do a monkey business. So I'm sure she kind of, like, had a weird thing in her mind, like, this is a bad situation. Yeah. And that's how she got away? That I would believe. Yeah, that's I don't fair. believe, like, a, huh, 
I need to flee before tomorrow night. My spider sense is tingling. Mm-hmm. But I would totally believe a, yeah. she saw the signs and was like, well, <laughs> I'm well, out of here. She probably went through some sort of training. training. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways. <sighs> so, I'm going to have a shower after this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. On top of the, the whole jungle living thing and the getting sold to a brothel thing, she's now living homeless on the streets of Kikutta. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. With all these homeless children. Okay. She's renamed Pony Malta by her friends. Nice. And in brackets it says, because she resembled the dark drink in its short bottle. So I guess she's named after a drink. Cool. (laughs) And this is crazy. She becomes kind of the leader of this homeless gang by putting all the skills she learned from the monkeys to use. Okay. So now she's... Stealing from the wealthy people, and <laughs> so it says in, in brackets again, one trick was to creep up on young women wearing short skirts, pull down their knickers, then run off with their bags, which they would drop in shock. <laughs> I love this kid. I mean, okay, so I'm assuming she would have learned a little bit of English at Le Brazol, but I don't know, like... I get she's probably in better shape than a lot of homeless kids, but at this point in time, she's probably, what, 12 to 14? Somewhere in there. Yeah. I do find that a little hard to believe, but I guess it depends on the size of... Like, if it's, like, a gang, but it's, like, four homeless kids going together, I could be like, okay, but if there's, like, 20 kids and everyone's... No, I think it was small. Okay, because if there's, like, 20 and everyone's looking up to, like, this, you know, for lack of a better term, like monkey child yeah that would be a little bit you know inconceivable haha no 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 hey as far as i can tell it's never explicitly said in any of the research i did but as far as i can tell it's just a small little troop of kids i could get that um and anyways yeah so she's probably like flung her poo at them to show dominance (laughs) demonstrating she told stories of the monkeys doing that like she just walks up like right in the face i'm leader now it it does say that she was able to hide from the victims and the police in the treetops because she can just scramble up there so quickly yeah so that's kind of cool neat skill to have so one day a friend tells marina how she escaped the streets by working for board and lodgings as a domestic so Marina finds a family that agrees to take her on, and they rename her again, Rosalba. It turns out, this family is a family of notorious criminals, and they enslave her. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, see, that I could actually believe. I could actually, like, that is totally something an enterprise would do. Like, there's a bunch of homeless yeah. kids, you're like... Hey kid, I'll give you a fifty bucks and a warm place to sleep if you come with mm-hmm. me. And then they go into slavery or the sex trade. Or but it's just a whole thing, like one thing after another. This is happening. poor, this poor girl. So she f- she flees again with the help of a neighbor, a woman called Maruha, who has nine children of her own. Eventually, Maruha sent her to live with one of the children far away in Bogota. I can't. Okay. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing these correctly, but I'm. I'm very sorry. I'm probably not. Maruha brought bought her a plane ticket and the f- first president that she ever remembers actually getting. First president. Um, yes, the first president because she lived in the jungle yeah. and then a brothel and then homeless. So, this kind lady gives her 
um, a dress made of blue satin and a hair clip and white socks and a pair of shiny white shoes. Aww. And she's so happy and she says it's the most beautiful thing she's ever seen because it's her first gift. And she was also naked for the majority of her young life. So there's that. Yeah. Um, at this point, she's 14. Okay, yeah. The gang at 13, brothel from the age of like 10 to 12, depending mm-hmm. on how long they're getting it ready. So at the point where she's 14, she's actually adopted by Maria, who is one of Maruja's daughters. Okay. So they adopt her and tell her she's completely free. She can choose her own name. Now she's her own person, right? Yeah. She calls herself Les Marina, and Les is after apparently a Colombian beauty queen. Okay. So that's cool. Les Marina. Um, and the whole name thing is significant because I guess her, she wrote like some kind of memoir, and it was all about how she was without a name for the longest time, and people just kind of kept giving her their, their own name that they wanted to give her. Yeah. So finally she's allowed to choose what she wants to be called. All right, so now we're moving into kind of the transition from her youth to her adulthood. She moves to Bradford, Yorkshire. She meets and marries a man named John Chapman and has her own children. And her husband and children hear her tell stories of monkeys and climbing trees and all that stuff, but they're never told in a linear fashion. Okay. And over time, it was just slowly coming out that she's a bit unusual. That's all the impression that they're getting, right? Yeah. So when they were young, she'd show them how to climb trees, and they'd just think, oh, this is fun, you know? And then she'd pat around all fours and make them laugh. But again, they're kids, and they're like, oh, it's just funny. Yeah, I would do the same with my kids. Right? Right. So there, there's... And then they notice, as they grow older, that there's strange little things that she struggles with. So she struggles with opening doors, because there's no twisty handles in the jungle, you know? Uh, that part feels weird to me. Yeah? Well, because, okay, so how old was she when she got married? Like, let's assume she was like 20-ish or older, right? I don't know. So she's been out of the jungle for 10 years. Now, I've never been to a brothel, but I'm pretty sure doors are still a thing. And she got adopted by the one family, I'm assuming, like, doors are not the most complicated thing. I'm assuming she's learned how to speak relatively decent language to get married. Like, the door thing feels a little bit, like padding yeah that's fair like it could be exaggeration they don't they don't say though that she can't open them yeah, they just say they noticed it was awkward for her yeah i guess if she does it in a weird way i could kind of see that anyways but. so point being they grow up just thinking that she's kind of quirky kind of funny and it isn't until her children start to make friends and visit their parents house that they kind of notice the differences <laughs> mom is weird yeah pretty much <laughs> so um Moving on to her, like, reflecting as an adult, and she is ashamed of how feral she was as a child. And she was, she had, the whole time, she didn't, like, consider herself to be completely fine or, or quote-unquote, normal. Because I don't want to sound, like, mean when I say that. No, but, I, but like, she, adjusted, kind of, to yeah, the... She was fully aware the whole time of her differences and habits and traits. Yeah. And how they weren't considered the usual. Um, she says... When she came out of the jungle, she had to learn how to sit in a chair, how to open doors, sanitation, and all these things. Yeah. Um, she says, I'm still bad at sitting down and behaving like everybody else. Because it's just not in her nature. Yeah. She says she had to watch people eating their food in a proper mannerly way and had to copy them. 
and that she felt like she was such a bad person as a child and she was ashamed and that kind of has stayed with her which is really sad I was about to say that's, that's unfortunate it's really sad um but yeah um so she focused for most of her adult life on becoming like I said quote unquote normal she trained as a cook eventually working her way up to becoming a chef at Bradford's National Media Museum okay and she says, I reined in the urge to walk like a monkey. <laughs> I mean, you know, baby steps. Um, so it's only recently that Vanessa, her daughter, I guess, decided to piece together her mom's story and started writing it all down as a private document for the family. Okay. And the more she finds out, the more she thought it would make a great book. And if it was published, then maybe her mom, Marina, could track down her actual biological parents that she was taken from. Yeah. Um, so the Chapmans say that they didn't do it for the money. So Marina's new family. Um, and they actually said they'll give any proceeds away to a charity for abandoned children. That's nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Like, you can kind of see, this would be a very easy thing to monetize. To very come, easy. Right? Like, hey, look, we literally have the Jungle Book. It's real. Mm-hmm. This happened. But they're kind of like, no, let's help out other people. I like that. Yeah, so I think the fact not only that they're giving away the money, but also that they're giving it to a charity that's related to abandoned children, which yeah. is something that, it, you know, is related to the mom story. That for some people, for some listeners, that might make it sound a bit more credible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they started by approaching a number of publishers who obviously reject the book. They, I guess they probably didn't find it very believable right yeah um but they kept pressing on with their project and they were visiting columbia to try and make sense of her past as i think i mentioned earlier in um, our previous uh, conversation about her adult life yes um and she could she couldn't find that part of the rainforest where she spent her years with the monkeys because obviously rainforests are generally big huge yeah um but yes she found the brothel into which she had been sold and the mafia house where she was enslaved. So she found both of those. Okay, yeah. Why are you laughing? I just... When you say it out loud again, it's like... It just sounds like... It sounds like something straight out of a fiction book. Yeah, like that's you're the like whole describing, point of this I know, it's just... It's it's so interesting that it's real. Like, it's like... Then she found the brothel, and then she found the... The mafia the house mafia where she was house, enslaved. And then she saw, like, her great-uncle monkey swinging through the trees, so she brought him a banana to celebrate his 50th birthday. Like, okay, not that last part, but you get my drift. My, yes, and my whole point of the podcast is that sometimes... Weird Like you happen. like to say, sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. It is, absolutely. So, yeah, um... And she, since all of this, she's lived in New Yorkshire for 30 years. It says she speaks a wonderful Colombian-Bradford hybrid with flat vowels and lisping and Latin American flourishes. The trouble is, Marina says, because now, as far as I know, this memoir is all published. Okay. And it is a thing. And she says, oh yeah. It is, because earlier in my notes we were talking about how the memoir was called, like, The Child Without a Name or whatever. Yeah. So definitely it is. Um, Anyway. Ever since she started telling her story, she says the problem is that the the press has exaggerated or misinterpreted much of it, or misreported. Yeah. So kind of happens. When it's Marina saying that, like I said, it seems a bit more credible, because she's like, no, I'm not intentionally trying to blow this out of proportion 
or make it sound more extravagant or amazing than it actually was. That's just kind of where the media works, though, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's like a giant game of telephone. She could be like, you know, I lived with, with monkeys, and, you know, I had to learn how to eat and survive, and then the next reporter's going to be like, man, I bet she had to dodge tigers. Are there tigers? There were tigers. She had to dodge tigers. It was really... And then the next <laughs> yeah. guy's like, and then somehow a bear wound up there. We don't even know. She became friends with the bear. Like, and just, it just escalates. Uh-huh. So that's the part that she says she's not happy about. The yeah. fact that they decided to tell her story and kind of make it public. Um, so the subtitle of the book is The Incredible True Story of a Child Raised by Monkeys. And apparently to that she says, that's not right. Even at five years old, I was much bigger than the monkeys. And I scavenged food from them, but they didn't provide for me. Yeah. All they did was invite her into their extended family. You, and that's yeah. what she says. It wasn't so, so much like a parent-child relationship as yeah. like, hey, you're a creature, I'm a creature, I'm going to tolerate your presence. Yeah. like You know, you pick fleas off my back and I'll let you have the scraps from dinner. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So, I find that really interesting that this lady is like, no guys, like you're not getting the story right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's kind of fun. I'd love to see her just give her own, like have a documentary where she's just telling it in her own words, you know? I'd, I'd watch, a TED, so I'd watch a TED Talk on her. Yeah. And it's about yeah. like overcoming adversity or something like that. <laughs> I'd watch that. It'd be fun. Um, so anyway, Marina's account asks a lot of her readers and leads us to examine the nature of memory. So this is something that comes up in a lot of conversations about her case. Yeah. Um... And the question is always, if she can't remember her pre-jungle childhood, how can we trust what happened after that? And that she remembers what happened after. And I remember you saying that a bit at the beginning of this episode, is how much can we rely on the memories she had when she was five? Like, I, I have trouble... I can remember general things, mm-hmm. but, like, there are photos of me doing things that I'm like, I have no recollection yeah. of this whatsoever. Like, I don't typically have any solid memories since before I was... I'd say 10 or 12. I do. I think every most people have solid memories, but he, this is the thing, and this is the argument I'm going to make. The reason your memories from earlier are so sparse is because the further back you go into your memory, your brain is only keeping the most significant and memorable things. Yeah. The things that you have an emotional attachment to specifically. Yeah. So my point to this would be, yes, she was young, but because it's such a big emotional experience... She latched onto the memories more. I, yeah, I, I would have a hard time believing that... Assuming that this is all true when it happened, I have a hard time believing that she wouldn't be remembering it properly. You yeah. know? Yeah. Because it's so significant and so emotional. I think some details... Obviously, the some brain, details. Yeah, kind of changes a little bit. But I think, yeah, the general gist of the story is probably correct. Yeah, like I... That's just my personal opinion that when... When there's such heavy emotion involved, it's it's hard to just say, oh, we can't rely on your memories of this. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know? Um, and yeah, there's a lot of talk about can she be suffering from false memory syndrome, which I'm not going to discredit. I think it's that possible. could be a thing. Um, and the whole idea behind that is that she unconsciously invented the story of the monkeys to cope with an even more traumatic childhood experience. I mean, listen... Like, what's the old um, John Locke, right? I think, therefore I am. The only thing we really know is we exist. Yeah. Right? For all I know, I'm sitting in, like, the middle of nowhere thinking that I'm having a conversation with you 
recording a podcast. Everything is kind of subject to a degree of interpretation. Yeah. Especially memories when no one else can verify them. Yeah, I was going to say it's different for one person than two, because if you and I are both If we can verify something happened, Occam's Razor says, yes, that probably did happen if you have two different accounts of verification. Yeah, because the other... The alternative is less believable, which is that we're both yeah. having the exact same like hallucination but, at the same time. But the idea that a child created an alternate story to hide trauma, especially when we later find out if the brothel part was true yeah. and the mafia part was true, like yeah. maybe something worse did happen and maybe this is her brain's way of mm-hmm. making it better, for lack of a better term. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But That's where, so yeah, that's kind of, those are sort of the reactions that there have been to this story it's pretty much split 50 50 between she's telling the truth and it was so long ago that obviously she's not going to remember it perfectly yeah and then there's the other side of the argument which is well we don't even know if this is true and it could just be a false memory yeah so anyway um her husband john is himself his personal opinion is that the amnesia is a reaction to the stress of her situation as a child and it was some sort of survival mechanism. Okay. So, quote, I think her energy was fully occupied in trying to keep alive in the jungle. Basically, she was starting life all over again. And from that point of view, I would think everything goes out of the window. Yeah. Unquote. That's fair enough. So, yeah. And then, on a different perspective, uh, from Colombian professor Carlos Conde, he said that he conducted tests... Um, with Marina um, using pictures of capuchin monkeys and her adoptive family and the experiment was basically testing um, the emotional reactions in her brain yeah. to the pictures does this picture make you feel anything exactly like actually like looking into your brain to see yeah yeah so they can clearly see however it is that she's hooked up they can clearly see if she has an emotional reaction to yeah. seeing something makes sense um, and yeah, he apparently this test demonstrated to him that she was telling the truth. Uh, there are ways to beat tests, but if again, if she believes yeah, the story to be true, she's gonna pass the test for sure, right? Like, and that's why I don't like if I'm she was not just saying... making it up to like make a quick buck. Yeah, that'd probably be a good way to be like, she don't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. But if she either subconsciously made it up or consciously made it up and then forgot, Mm -hmm. like, it became her reality afterwards. Like, you know when you tell such a big lie that you can't remember the truth? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but... Anyway. All right. um, So I'm not saying it proves it's true. But it is interesting. What I'm saying is that this test basically proved that she wasn't making it up for some sort of publicity stunt or yeah that's basically all it proves she wasn't consciously lying regardless of whether she experienced it or not she has a strong emotional reaction to the pictures of the monkeys as if like equally responsive as if she was looking at pictures of her own family interesting um and this is what the professor said quote the response was very striking it strongly suggests that you've had a direct relationship with these animals and your emotional memory is strongly associated with those experiences Hmm. So, that's what he said. Um, so, apparently, I I was talking about a documentary. I didn't realize there is one. <laughs> I have it written in my notes here. <laughs> so, the documentary, I don't have, like, a title for it, apparently, in my notes. I just wrote the documentary. 
takes Marina back to Colombia to try and trace any members of her birth family who are still alive. And today she is clear on who it is she wants to find. So she earlier she was like, uh, I don't remember my human family. Like I don't have any emotional connection to them. Yeah. But at this point she's trying to retrace those roots just to really figure out how much of her experiences she's remembering properly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, um, yeah. So, at the very beginning of this episode, you asked me what year it was, and I um, was trying to find it in my notes, and I couldn't because it's at the very end of my notes for whatever reason. <laughs> so, today she's 70, and her estimated birth year is 1950. Okay. That, uh, okay. I had a thought. Yeah. And it's it's not a good person thought. But the year kind of gives it more credibility that this might not be the case. Like, nowadays, for example, if, if you go missing, mm-hmm. right, and I'm, I, I file a missing persons report, and you show up 30 years later, in theory, it shouldn't be that hard mm-hmm. to okay, oh, go, okay, we know, you know, you're kind of from this area, Right. Right. We found the brothel, for example. So you must be a town relatively nearby, say within 50 miles. Uh-huh. Look for missing children's reports from whenever ago, based on your estimated age, to fi- find the parents. Right. And I've never been outside of kind of like our home continent, for lack of a better term. Right. And my my first thought was, okay, how do you just let your kid get taken and not file a report that would be able to be found later but the fact that this was so long ago i could kind of be like i guess records might not have been as great back then i honestly or like the family was like my personal opinion or they got rid of her that was my first thought is they had like they had like a debt and they were just selling the kid could be so yeah if if and that sounds horrible, but okay. it's like, if my kid was taken, I would be looking for the rest of my life. Yes. I would make sure reports are would. filed, etc. But it kind of seems like they were like, oh, the kid's gone. Well, yes. You know. Can I talk? Yes. Sorry. I am trying to say, at the beginning of this story, there was that whole thing where she gets kidnapped. Yeah. And then she just gets dumped in the forest without explanation. Yeah. And in her memoir, she doesn't say anything about, like, I caused trouble or I was like misbehaving or I overheard them say this yeah like there's nothing about that it just says oh they dumped me so my personal opinion of what happened is either that the family could care less and did not file any sort of report whatsoever so the kidnapping happens and it's a matter of chance but the family's like oh whatever or there was no kidnapping they're like we can't afford to feed another Mm -hmm. mouth that to me also makes sense. So the the whole, we just need her to disappear. Yeah. They hire these people and they're like, okay, let's make her disappear. Let's go and drive her in the middle of a friggin' rainforest and just drop her and she'll just die. I hadn't even thought about, I for some reason I'd, I'd forgotten about that there was no conflict. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying hired someone. I'm saying dad just puts on like a ski mask. And- okay, but I was about to add the only other thing is that she remembers hearing other children crying. Which seems to point to the fact that there were other kids who had been taken. That's the only thing that's... eh. 
that to me makes me think less kidnapping. Because here's why. I'm not a, like, criminal in terms of, like, like I've jaywalked. That's about it. But, like, I'm not going to go, like, all right, this is the night. I'm going to kidnap six kids in a single night. Leave five of them crying somewhere, right? Like... Well, I guess it's in some kind of van. Like, there's just a big van. I guess. With full of kids, and they just throw her in, and then... I feel like you're, I don't getting, know. you're getting greedy after one or two. <laughs> like... I just... Anyways, the whole... My yeah. whole point... I want to end this podcast before it gets too long, but basically, I personally believe that the reason she hasn't been able to track down her family is because regardless of whether they were involved in her disappearance or not, they did not care. Yeah. And there I, was no missing persons report filed or I can, anything. I can second that idea. So, yeah. Um, to conclude, with a final quote from Marina, this is just kind of how she concludes whenever she is interviewed about her story. To be honest, I am losing interest in who my real family were, says Marina. I just have no feelings for them. I'm sorry to think that way. I would rather find the monkeys. I really believe they will remember me. Unquote. So, overall... I believe that she believes it. So what what is that? Is that a conceivable or an inconceivable? it's, It's conceivable... It is conceivable. Like, the story is definitely, you know, well within the realm of possibility. Because, like, let's... There's, like, 7 billion people on the planet. There's massive areas of of jungle and stuff that's been unexplored. I've heard a similar story about uh, girls getting raised by wolves. Okay. It's like twin girls. And I know that one is supposed to be verified. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I, can, I can definitely see it happen. I do think the details... Are probably a little bit muddied. Like I well, like we talked about because with, of the whole yeah. media getting involved. Well, even memory, right? Like I, I definitely think that the parents probably didn't care. I think the monkey stuff might be a cover up for something, like not consciously, but for something worse than that that mm-hmm. happened. Like, and I'd I'd hate to say that, but that's kind of it's possible. But. Yeah, no, I, I think it's conceivable. I, okay. I think this could happen. Great. First episode. First, doing first good. Episode. Conceivable. We have a conceivable. So, um, before we end this episode, though, uh, we did our whole introduction at the very beginning, and then neither of us introduced ourselves. So, <laughs> um, so we just came up with... I, I want to say stage name, but that's not right, because this isn't stage. But it's, like, it's our personas. Sure, our persona names. Yeah. So this guy right here, the skeptic slash critic, is going to be Scoff. I'll be Scoff, yeah. <laughs> scoff. That's Scoff. Um, and I'm Wonk, because apparently, like, that's, you're wonky. It's it's a word that actually means it's like not a word. it is a word. It's not a word. You're talking to an English major here. It's it's a word. It's about it's kind of describes a person who's like. Nerdy, a heavy researcher, and I'm the researcher of the group. So. Yeah, that's about right, I guess. Scoff and wonk. Scoff and wonk. So, sorry that we didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning, but now we have, so that's that's all done with. And you will see uh, Scoff and Wonk in our next podcast, episode two. Of Inconceivable. Very nicely done. I, I, I thought so. So for now, guys, 
take care and we will see you next time have a good one bye